Psalm 34, and our sermon will come from those first few verses. And I've got to tell you already, as we have come to assemble to worship, I've got to tell you, I don't know if it's a secret to you or not, but I've got to tell you that it is good to be a child of the King. Amen? It is good to be a child of God, and no pandemic is ever going to take that away from you or I. It is good to be a Christ follower today. And I know that there might be many here that might be listening in and those that might be listening uh, uh, over on YouTube or on Facebook or through the radio or in the fellowship hall. And I know that there are those listening in who, who have had their fill of this pandemic. Have you? I've, I've had my fill of this pandemic. I, I, you know, I've got to the point where I would just as soon burn my mask than to wear it again. But this is where we're at today. And we serve the Lord regardless whether we wear a mask or not. I want to remind you of something again that you probably already know. I want to remind you that we are His. And we have triumph through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know they wrote a song about that that we kind of highlight every time we have a homecoming, uh, homecoming service. And that song is Victory in Jesus. We have triumph through Christ Jesus our Lord, and there is no disease, there's no pandemic, there's no social unrest, political unrest that will ever take that away from you. Now, I've got to also tell you, and something that you already probably know, that this road that we walk on as Christ followers is not paved smoothly, is it? But it's paved with God's grace. It's not paved smoothly but full of grace. Now I'm going to ask you, if you will, if you'll stand with me as we read the word of the Lord and the text under examination and consideration this morning is entitled to fear God and to, and to look at two different, two different ways to reflect on the, on, on the fear of God or to fear God. I'm going to be reading from verses 8 through 14 and I'll ask you, if you will, let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. And as a way to see the measurable blessing from the Lord, things that we see, things that become tangible, the psalmist writes, beginning at verse 8, he says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try Him. Amen? Try Him. You will see that He is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me, he says. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Maybe that's what we need today, a little bit of the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Lord, we ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the portion of Scripture. We know it's blessed, Lord, because it is inspired by you. But we ask you, Lord, that we would have ears to hear. As John the Revelator writes, let, let the Spirit speak to the church and let the church hear what the Spirit says. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Now these verses, they highlight a very important part of the child of God. They highlight the importance of having a healthy fear of the Lord. And what does that look like? And, and I know at, at any time, at any time, the Lord could take us out of this world. And you know what? He would be justified in doing it. He could take us right on out, right now, right in this second. And would not have to give us an explanation. But I also know, as I survey Scripture... That the Lord is long-suffering and He is full of grace. In His tender mercies, He is calling those to Himself. You know, this past week I was sitting at my desk praying and asking for the Lord's direction and wisdom. In fact, it was I did not even know where I was going today as far as the sermon is concerned. <laughs> as you know, we've been working through the book of Mark and this is kind of like an intermission for that and and so I sat at my desk, I asked for the Lord's direction and His wisdom, and I was reminded of His faithfulness. I challenge you, every time you read Scripture, I, I challenge you. Lord, I, I can't read this Word without you. I can't be illumined to the understanding with, unless you lead me in it. I was reminded of His faithfulness. I was reminded of the mandate. Listen to this. I was Reminded of the mandate or the command to be holy as He is holy. When was the last time that we heard that phrase or actually thought through that? What does it mean to be holy as He is holy? How in the world can I be like that when every day I get up, I say, Lord, I do not know what I'm doing. Help me. How can I be like that? Not divine, but a level of righteousness. How can we achieve such high expectations of righteousness or what we used to call growing up in the holiness church, holy living? It's a command, isn't it? It's a command in Scripture to be holy. Is this also laid at the expectation of a Christ follower? Is it? It is. Progressive Christianity today is trying to take away the demand of repentance. They're trying to say that Christianity has evolved and the scriptures are not inspired, but I know otherwise. Progressive Christianity would say as, as culture change, so does, so does God change. That's odd to say, isn't it? So there's a command that even for the Christ follower is laid upon you and I to be holy. I can't achieve this in my own power and my own strength and neither can you. No matter how headstrong we might think that we are, no matter how strong will we might think that we are, no matter how self-sustaining we might think we are, we will never be able to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps in reference to righteousness. I want you to listen as Peter scribed these words as a reflection from Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. Peter says in the first letter that bears his name, chapter 1, verse 14, 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, in other words, don't be like you used to be. You were called out of that lifestyle. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And what Peter is referencing here is a time in Israel's history where God called them to be separate from the nations. He gave them a law. He gave them commands. He gave them not only the moral law of God, he gave, he gave them the civil law and a ceremonial law so that they might... So they might live in peace and shalom one with another. And as they worship God together, Israel was to be a light to the nations. And as Israel were to be a light to the nations concerning the holiness of God, so are we to be a light to the nations with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're to be a light to the nations today. And you can't be a light to the world if we have sin festering in our lives, can we? The hard fact remains the nations, which today we would just say the people, the unregenerate, those that, are, those that do not know the Lord. They will not listen to you. Listen, you want to talk to somebody about Jesus. I want you to listen to this next, next point. The people will not listen to you. They will not even cast an eye in your direction. They will not be open to receive your message if your life is one that is not living out your faith. As far as I can tell, and I've followed church history pretty, pretty closely, and even in my own experience with the life and health of the church, I could tell you that no one that I have ever known has been drawn to Christ while hypocrisy has been on display in an individual's life. If one claims to be in Christ, then they will live it out. They will live out their faith. Now, now did you say, hear me say that they will live out their faith perfectly? Did I say that? They will not live it out perfectly as we know that we all fail but obediently. Obediently. Now here's something that I thought about recently. I thought about this, and maybe you have too. Maybe, maybe you have thought this way too. I would not want to offend the Lord that saved me. But sometimes I do. And that should scare the socks off of us. You know, sometimes I... Sometimes I offend the God that saved me. And that really is a scary thought. I think about people in the Bible where it seems as if the Lord was harsh. You ever, you ever read the Old Testament passage and you're like, wow, the Lord struck down somebody there. And, and that seemed pretty harsh for, for, the, for the crime. Have you ever read anywhere in the Bible and you're like, wow. I know you have. I have too. I, I could have easily been like Uzzah who touched the ark of the covenant as they were commanded not to touch the ark in, in 1 Chronicles 13 and the Lord struck him down because of it. You, re, you remember reading that in 1 Chronicles 13? You remember reading that episode? 
And so, we best reflect on the mercy of our God. And by the way, the Lord was justified in doing so. And so, the challenge is to reflect on His mercy and the deep mercy and the grace of our God. This mercy that is so deep that it moved God to send His only Son. But I also have to say, in light of Uzzah in First Chronicles 13, and in light of who we are on this side of the cross, I've got to tell you, and again, this is no secret, that God's judgment and demand for holiness has not changed one bit. You might say, well, preacher, what has changed? What has changed? Well, what has changed is mercy and grace now amplified through our Lord Jesus. Where God would see sin and separation for the child of God, now he sees the righteous son. Think about it. We talk, the, the society today talks about things that are fair and unfair all the time, don't they? Just look on the, on the horizon of, of politics. And people talk about what's fair and unfair all the time. In the scale of holiness or salvation, righteousness even, this is an utterly unfair exchange my sins, my dirty, filthy sin for His righteousness. As my sin was cast upon the Son of God, His righteousness was imputed or given to me. That's not fair, is it? And so when we understand His grace, when we understand the depth of that, that is an unfair exchange. We talk, about, we talk about things that are fair and unfair all the time. That's unfair. The God of creation, but He is long-suffering, merciful, and gracious. It's not fair that my sin, your sin, was cast upon Him. And our righteousness comes from Him as it is given to us. But praise be to God, we have righteousness in the Son. And when we understand this grace and mercy, I've got to tell you, it adds fuel to the fire of being holy as He is holy. Because at this point, I want to be like Him. At this point, I want to be like Jesus. I read a quote the other day, and this one really hit me like a ton of bricks. And this musician here has um, a songwriter who has toured with Chris Tomlin. And you may have heard the name Adam Kappa. Not sure if you've heard that name before, but he said something that I thought was very striking, very, very telling, and very challenging. He said this. He said, if we walked in the fear of God instead of the fear of man, then we would not compromise the truth of the gospel to appease men. If we are more afraid of the righteousness of God and His judgment and Him being displeased with something in our lives, then we wouldn't walk around and compromise the gospel to appease men. I think of the early church that would say, shall we fear God or man? Do we obey God or man? 
And if we fear God in a healthy, reverential way, then share the good news that Jesus lived a sinless life, was killed, slayed as he hung on the cross, and rose again from the third day. It would not be hard at all for us to present it to those who are lost and dying and going to hell around us. Instead, here's what we do. We go around, we are afraid that we're going to say something that will offend someone. Man, this is a very hypersensitive culture we live in. I don't have to tell you that. Very hypersensitive. We're so worried. You know, I, I read this past week. There was a, a pastor in Canada who was, who was arrested for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. It's getting close, friends. It's getting close. But here's what we do. We go around afraid that someone is going to be offended if we say to them that Jesus is the only way to God. People like Jesus until you talk about his exclusivity and it is only Jesus Christ that one might be righteous. It is only through Jesus that one will even see the Father. It is through Jesus that one will ever be justified. And yet, we find ourselves compromising that message because we are afraid that somebody is going to be offended by it. The truth is, the world needs to hear it. Truth is, my friends need to hear it. That doesn't mean that I'll go and preach fire and brimstone to my friend who does not know the Lord. That means I'm going to be gentle and meek and share with him the love of Jesus. This is what the world needs to hear, the gospel. We need to fear God rather than man. Now, what we end up doing is we end up compromising the good news. And by the way, I've got to say this, the good news, the good news is not accommodating to sinners. And what I mean by that, the gospel is not constructed so that a sinner can keep on living the life that he's living or she's living. The gospel is not accommodating to sinful Lifestyle. In fact, it calls it, it calls it out. And the message, and the message has not changed. By the way, the message has not progressed. The message of Jesus has not progressed. It has not changed. It has always been through the blood of Christ that one might be saved and sanctified. See, part of the good news is also the bad news, meaning that we are in sin. We are separated from God with, without Christ. We are like dead men walking in the graveyard, if you will. We are like some spiritual type of zombie. We are dead in our trespasses and sin. But the good news is that Christ came to bring rescue and to bring remedy. You don't think that the world should rejoice through that message? And yet we are afraid. It has still, as it has always been, repent of your sins, follow Jesus for the rest of your life. And so we must fear God and not man. In verse 8 it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. If you look down to our key verses for today, it says, Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek, seek peace and pursue it. A couple of things I want to bring out today as we look at these two verses. 
First, a healthy fear of the Lord will guide our words. A healthy fear of the Lord will guide our words. You ever been around somebody who um, was, uh, was, is a believer in the Lord Jesus and you yourself being a believer and they said something and they said, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that word. That slipped out. Now, in the end of this age, I would say to you that the person you're conversating with, with does not have to answer for that, but you do. You don't have to apologize to me. In order to keep from speaking evil things and deceitful things, we need help from the Holy Spirit of God. Transformative Holy Spirit of God who will take those things away from us. See, this is a disposition that that David, the psalm writer here, the author of the psalm, he could not boast in. Yes, the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. But they cannot claim that the Holy Spirit indwelt the believers. They cannot claim that in the Old Covenant, so to speak. But the Holy Spirit was active and working in the Old Covenant, but not in the way of indwelling the people of God on this side of the cross. But the question remains, what does keeping your tongue from evil entail? It entails not speaking wrong or hurtful things. We might even pride ourselves in speaking our minds and and it has done more harm than good or more tearing down than building up from a kingdom perspective. And I'll never forget this. I remember one time a person saying to me, well, I'm just going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm just going to speak a piece of my mind. And in an instance where I did not refrain my tongue, I said, well, you don't have a lot to talk about, do you? In the moment where the Lord was telling me, son, you need to keep your mouth shut, I did not. John Henry Jowett said, who was a 19th century preacher and theologian, he said, every word that we speak recoils upon the speaker's heart. It leaves its influence, either in grace or disfigurement. Think about that. The things we say finds its end in grace or disfigurement, in building up or in tearing down. Very, very hearty words for us today. In the words of the Apostle James, he would ask this question, how can bitter and sweet come from the same well? He would go on to say in verse 11 of chapter 3, does a spring forth, uh, pour forth uh, from the same opening, does it bring fresh and salt water at the same time? No. Do you find yourself struggling with controlling the things that you say? Now, that was probably me raising both hands, but yes. The world would say, let it out. Speak your mind. They would say, you deserve to speak your mind. Really? Who said you deserve to do that? I can speak my mind, and you can speak your mind, but I think it's often in the way that we say it, right? I believe it needs to be seasoned with the Word and seasoned with guidance from the Holy Spirit of God. 
Does it matter at all who you hurt along the way? As long as you can get your peace. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking to these hypersensitive culture that we live in. Just common decency and common sense. Now, for a Christ follower, keeping one's tongue from evil and speaking deceitful things, it should be easy for us to control those things. But often we find ourselves in rebuttal against the Holy Spirit. Keeping one's tongue from evil and watching the things that we say. Over and again, the New Testament authors write the way things used to be. I remember having conversations with people, and I would say, well, if this was the old Larry Stevens, it might be a different scenario. You might have even said that to yourself, too. If I had a conversation or an argument, this would not have ended this way if this would have been the old me. The New Testament is replete with the author's writing of the way that we used to be versus who we are now. And one such author you're very familiar with is the Apostle Paul. And on one occasion, uh, one occasion can be found in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin. Remember, you were dead. You weren't, you weren't sin sick. You were, sin, you were dead. Spiritually dead. And then he says in verse 2, In which you once walked. This is the way you used to be. This, you used to talk this way, but not anymore. And following the course of the world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, verse 3, amongst whom we all once lived. The way we used to be. And we lived out our passions, we said, we gave people a piece of our mind without restraint. Without thinking of how it will affect the people. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by natural children. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I wonder how many today needs controlling the things that they say one to another. Not that things don't need to be said. But controlling the way that it is said and the tone in which we say things. If we seriously thought of how displeasing this is to God. And how we are to exhibit holiness. Even in the things that we say. I think there would be a reverence and correction in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit will enable us. To watch what we say. And how we say it. Think of it like this. Are the things that I am saying now and how I'm speaking to others, is it building up the kingdom of God or tearing it down? But I'm also reminded that this struggle will never end until the day that we die. So there's some hope for you. The struggle to tame this tongue will go on until we breathe our last breath. I remember hearing an elderly gentleman, he was telling of a time when he and his son was attending a graveside service for a family friend. They had dismissed, the preacher had prayed with the family and friends began to mingle 
with the friends at the graveside. And at the conclusion of this, of this service, he and, his, he and his boy walked around and began to look at various headstones. And I don't know about you, but uh, the, the headstones sometimes are very fascinating to me. Some of the message that we see on them and so the, the years they may have lived. And so he, he and his son began to walk around and began to, to look at some of the various headstones. There were some from soldiers from various wars and there was others that were in, 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 uh, engraved with loving father or loving mother and they read others where there was some scripture etched, uh, etched in them. And they came across one uh, that was very difficult to read, but they were very determined to read it. So they stooped down and began to, uh, they began to dust it off. And they began to make out something, squinting to see the inscription. They finally were able to make out the inscription. And it said, beneath this lump of clay lies one Abraham Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold his tongue. Amen? Until the day we die, we will struggle with the words that we say, and if we lean on the Holy Spirit, He will guide what we say. Better yet, He will season the word that we say. He will season what we say with the good news of Christ. Secondly, a healthy fear of the Lord will move you to peace. Will move you to peace. That's what the author writes here in verse 14. I submit to you that true peace only comes through knowing the Prince of Peace. And I submit to you that true peace only comes through Him. This is true on a global scale. And it is on a personal scale as well. You will not find true peace until you lean upon the Prince of Peace. Amen? Do you believe that? What in the world are we doing today with the gospel? The world paints peace as nothing more than a superficial knockoff of the real thing. A knockoff of true, genuine peace. In fact, if you think about it in the context of the Old Testament, peace would be the Hebrew word shalom. You're probably familiar with that word, shalom. And you've probably heard me elaborate on this before, but true peace, shalom, didn't just mean a time without war. It mean a time of human, perpetual flourishing. Meaning that as I love the Lord thy God with all of my heart, mind, soul, body, everything within me. And as I love my neighbor as myself, I have true peace, shalom with God and with others. In fact, if you were to look at the civil law, the civil law was constructed by God so that they would love one another. And if there was a wrong done in the camp, they would make it right. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pursue peace and pursue what is good. F.B. Meyer said, let us refrain from our lips. Hold our peace. Let us refrain our lips. Hold our peace as Jesus did. Yes, Jesus did. 
and go on doing what is good and right. God will see to it that our needs are supplied and our enemies are silenced and that our soul is redeemed. Holding our peace will bring us peace. Now that does not mean that we can't speak the things against evil today. That does not mean that we have to refrain from speaking out on evil in the world. In fact, I think there's a command for us to do so. When society is burdened, when there are evils at hand, I believe the church should speak up. But we also need to season what we say with the good news. That there is only one remedy. And even though we can't forcibly place upon someone salvation, we can be obedient. And if you hold or keep your peace in the world, watch what you say, God God will use you. See, the beauty of living out and living in peace is that the Holy Spirit enables us to live in peace. And I don't know how many times during a week when I, when I have to say, Lord, I can't do this without you. This, I don't, what am I doing? Lord, I, I don't know. What am, I, what am I doing? This is yours. Hebrews 12 verse 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. I believe that's a good charge, isn't it? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace, strive for holiness. Let me share with you why it is important to seek peace in this world, and then I'll reach my conclusion for today. Why is it important to seek peace in the world? Well, number one, we serve a great, big, wonderful God, but also a God that demands justice for sin, who at any time could call us out of this world, especially when we are disruptive towards kingdom work. God is gracious, and God is good, He is long-suffering, but there's always, there's always that rub, Lord, if I am being disruptive in the kingdom work, you can take me out at any moment. Lord, if I'm coming against your people in some way, if I am hindering kingdom work, Lord, I know at any moment you can take me on. And I don't know about you, but I do not want to stand in the way of someone hearing the gospel. The second reason is that we seek peace in this world, we pursue peace in this world because it gives us an avenue to share about the love of Jesus. Paul writes about this extensively. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your authorities. And so we seek peace because it enables us to share the love of Jesus. We are given a mission, or better yet, a commission. And I do not want to hinder this in any way. So we listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we read the word of God and in conjunction... We say with what we say and how we live, we let the Son of God live out through us. So let me ask you in closing Do you need help taming the tongue? Do you need help tampering anger? The gospel is the answer. I would just simply challenge you preach the gospel to yourself daily. That might sound like a very oversimplistic answer but there's truth in it the gospel holds the answer 
Sometimes a healthy reverence of the Lord can bring us back to reality. So let me ask you, where do you stand today? Church, where do you stand today? Let's, uh, let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we stand here today in your grace and your mercy, thanking you, praising you for it, Lord. Lord, I know like myself and many others in here and those listening in, we need, we need help, especially in this way, uh, the, the world we live in today, Lord, to guide what we say. Uh, Lord, it's not that we can't speak out. You, in fact, you, you implore us to speak out against the evils of society and the evils of culture today and that, that we see on display, but we need to do so seasoned with the good news, knowing, Lord, that people need salvation, and that is the answer. Uh, so, uh, Lord, I just I pray, as I pray for myself, uh, Lord, that, that we would put this tongue under subjection, watch what we say, and ask ourselves this question, is what, uh, is what we are saying now building up the kingdom? We're tearing it down. Maybe there's one in here who's, who's heard the message today and they said, well, I, I, I'm a sinner. I've never repented of my sins. Today I repent and I want Christ to be king. I want to give my sin to him and he to save me. Maybe that's you today. I'll ask you if you, if you will. I'll ask you if you will. Please see me after the service. And Lord, we pray for those who need a touch from you today to live anxiety, to live worry. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll ask you, if you will, in our time of invitation, if you'll stand with me as we meditate on this hymn, Just As I Am. God calls us unto himself with all of our baggage, all of our care, all of our concerns. He calls us as we are today. But he calls us to repent. The words will be on the screen for us to sing along. I'll ask you if you will. Let's just sing this, sing this together just as I am. Just as I am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou bidst me come to thee O Lamb of God I come I come, verse 2, just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Lord, we do thank you for this time of worship.
And Lord, we know that as we dismiss, that worship just simply doesn't end here. But it becomes a lifestyle for the child of God, continually reflecting on the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, Lord, we thank you for our time of worship today. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.